Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Uh, there was a football game. Let's talk about it. Well, we will talk about it, but it won't just be us. We will be joined by our pal, Matt DeBear, as well. Matt, what's going on? I have uh, I've quit sports after this weekend. Man, that was... Uh... Sports, oh, yeah. Sports yeah, are yeah, now bad. You're, you're I mean, at least you walked out of this weekend with one of your football teams and I'm having lost. a not injured quarterback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, everyone in the secondary with the Browns is now now injured or, or missed time on Sunday. So, yeah, things are going great. Go Bills. Uh, so, obviously, y'all know why we're here. Uh, here to do our usual weekly uh, recap pod. And we're doing it for a game that none of us are uh, particularly stoked about, as I'm sure is the case uh, for all of you in the Penn State universe. Of course, Penn State walked into Kinnick. And I'll just say something that I think is going to set the tone for this podcast for all of us. Penn State looked like it was going to whoop up on the number three team in the country. And then Sean Clifford got hurt. And it became a quicksand situation for Penn State. Uh, Nittany Lions lost 23-20 to Iowa uh, Hawkeyes. Despite the fact that Sean Clifford played a quarter of a half and a half of the football game, outgained Penn State by 12 yards. I'm so mad. Not 12. It was, I, I think it was 16, 17, something like that. But regardless, I'm just really mad. I'm not in a particularly great mood to discuss this game. Uh, I haven't got a chance to go back and rewatch this game because I've had some family stuff going on this weekend. So, Nick, I'll go to you because I know you have gotten a chance to rewatch this game. Um, just what are your general thoughts as we sit here, you know, we're a little more than 48 hours since the referee blew his uh, whistle to signify the end of the game. Yes, I just rewatched, finished rewatching this moments ago, so it is very fresh in my mind now. Um, I think first takeaway one, uh, it's obviously a weird thing to say about someone who has two interceptions, but Sean Clifford played really well in this game, especially considering the defense he was facing. Um, I I don't really blame him for either interception. I think he's trying to throw the first one away, and when his leg got swept out from under him, he just lost all the strength that he had on his throw. I and then the second one. I think the I think the wind got involved. Uh, it was it just looked strange, um, and even so, I you know it's that's a play you'd hope Dotson would be able to help out a little bit on at least turn into a defender on that play. But I don't mind taking the shot anyway because I thought Penn State rightly assumed that their defense would be able to hold Iowa even if they did pick it off. And that's my second big takeaway is that the Penn State defense was nothing short of incredible all night long. I know they gave up 23 points in the end, but considering that once uh, Sean Clifford left the game, Penn State's drives went the following way. Three plays, negative 16 yards, punt. Two plays, five yards, interception. End of half, three plays, negative nine yards. Three plays, five yards, punt. 11 plays, 42 yards, field goal. Three three plays, five yards, punt. Three plays, two yards, punt. Three plays, negative 19 yards, punt. Eight plays, 30 yards, turnover on downs. Four plays, zero yards, pick. Four plays, three yards, turnover on downs. For that to be what the offense gives you as a defense and to, in that span of time, only allow 13 points is just absurd. This defense is so, 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 so good. And if Sean Clifford is healthy coming out of this, which we will speculate wildly on, I'm sure, I think... I fully believe that Penn State can still beat every single team on the schedule. Last takeaway, on second watch, Taquan Roberson really wasn't as bad as I thought he was watching it live. He really got, just really didn't get much help at all from his receivers. Brendan Strange, two third down drops. The first one was especially bad. Um, Towards the end of the game, Cam Sullivan Brown had a drop that he should have hauled in. Uh, He actually, Cam Sullivan Brown played a lot in this game, um, which was interesting. He and Lambert, I think Lambert Smith was probably a little more dinged up than it seemed after that, after he went out early. But, you know, overall, I, you know, considering the opponent, considering the situation, I was actually a little bit more impressed with Roberson on the rewatch. And I think if Clifford does have to miss the Illinois game, if Roberson is getting two weeks worth of snaps with the ones in practice, I actually feel okay about him being able to be just fine for leading Penn State to a win against Illinois. I, I think I agree with that. Uh, Matt, we'll go to you and ask 
you know, again, just your very broad thoughts on this game before we start getting into uh, some more specifics. Well, I, I think it's unique and, and kind of cool that you think I have more than one thought on on this game. And I think it's going to be a, a bit of a broken record here, I think, as we go through this. But you know, this was you know, kind of a tale of two games for the first 25 minutes or whatever it was that, that Sean Clifford was healthy. Penn State was far and away the best team on the field. Um, like Nick said, you know, the two interceptions, it's it's funny to think like that, but they're almost afterthoughts. Um, you know, the first one, I've, I made a comment earlier today, I was ready to drink some bleach after that one, but the defense comes in, holds them to the field goal, and then they just go right down the field, um, you know, with the, with the short memory for Clifford, really, I think it was five of seven for 55 or 60 yards in that drive, um, you know, and really, really solid. Um, it's, it, I think a lot of us were speculating and hoping going into the game that this feeling that I think a lot of us, some more vocally than others had that Penn state is just a much better team than Iowa. There's a bit of a um, paper tiger type feeling to Iowa. They haven't really faced an offense like Penn state's. And I think we saw that for what was, was it four or five drives that Clifford played. Um, it was something like 208 yards to 48 yards, um, 17 to three, I guess you can technically say 17 to 10 because Iowa responded to the the field goal after the Clifford um, injured play, um, but it was it was a matter of um, you know men against boys when Penn State's offense was on the field. It felt like, and the the 180 degree flip that happened really, and I think it it, it started with Iowa responding to that touchdown or the field goal with a touchdown. Um, really got the crowd back into the game. Then you have the backup, you know, everyone realizes the backup quarterback's in. That revs them up a little bit more. The first snap is the, I don't know if it was a fumble or, you know, a bad snap that he wasn't ready for, whatever it was. And it just completely snowballed. Um, and so it's, I, I don't want to overly simplify it, um, but I think Penn State was well on their way to a comfortable win. Um had Sean Clifford not gotten hurt, Iowa hadn't shown anything on defense that made made. Any, I don't think any of us think that they were prepared to slow down what Penn State was doing on offense with Clifford under center or behind center. Um, and then, you know, the the and we'll get into it here in a little bit. The just turn of events, whether it's play calling or confidence or understanding of the offense or comfort level or whatever it is. Um, things just went sideways really fast. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not an overly complicated game to me to, to figure out Penn state's most important player got hurt and couldn't come back. And um, it, that snowballed enough to let Iowa back into the game. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it was actually funny while you were going through that, Matt, I was very interested uh, Matt, I Matt and Nick, you both mentioned the point of how well Penn state's defense played in the second half of that football game. I was interested and decided to just go and quickly add up the number of plays both teams had in the second half. Penn State had 39 and Iowa had 37. Of course, one Iowa drive was one play, 44-yard drive for a touchdown. But Penn State's defense, like, that was as impressive of a performance that we're going to see out of them. We're going to talk about them in a second. But I want to start by talking about what we saw out of Penn State before Sean Clifford went down. Penn State's drive chart. Uh, before Clifford ended up having to leave the game uh, right in, let's see, it would have been just a couple of minutes into the second quarter uh, against the vaunted Iowa defense, the interception, like uh, Nick mentioned, nine plays, 75 yards, touchdown, another interception, that was six plays, 28 yards, Penn State had gotten the ball to Iowa territory, uh, four plays, 39 yards, and a touchdown, 14 plays, 66 yards, and a field goal. Clifford ends up going out. Again, Nick, I'm going to start with you because you just rewatched the football game. Uh, what was working for Penn State? Because it really did, it honest to God, seemed like you hit the nail on the head when you said, despite the fact that he had two interceptions attributed to him, Sean Clifford was seemingly in total control of everything that was happening out there. Yeah, if if Clifford doesn't get injured, this goes down as an all-time Mike Yurcich game because he was just 
you know, and the receivers as well. And Clifford deserved the credit too, obviously, but he was scheming dudes open just everywhere. Like Clifford had, let's see, one, two, three, four of his 15 completions were 10 yards or more um, where the ball was caught. At least I'm looking at the passing chart that I did. That doesn't really happen against this Iowa defense. Like that's not something that they allow. Um, just everything about this game was just going so well for Penn State. I loved the way that Yursich was calling it. He it, like everything was so creative again, like we've gotten used to seeing with him. Um, Clifford was using his legs in just like the perfect ways. I we didn't really see that a lot from him early on in the season, and he's brought it back the last couple of weeks with just perfect precision and perfectly timing when he takes off. It's it's just. I mean, yeah, the loss sucks, but it's just a bummer because it, this was this was going to be maybe not statistically an all timer for Sean Clifford, but this was going to end up, I think, being arguably one of his better games. Just the I mean, as we've been saying, the decision making was just it was great. It sucks that we didn't get to see it for a full four quarters. Yeah, it's the, I think we saw, Matt, the thing that we mentioned, um, you know, kind of in the lead up to this game, which was that. Iowa plays in such a way, such a very specific, very consistent way that it was a reminder that if all of us idiots realize it, so does Penn State's coaching staff. And I think we saw Penn State's coaching staff go out there and say, we know exactly almost to a man what they are going to do out there. And we're going to have Sean punish them for that. Yeah. And I think I, I want to mention something real quickly that you know, in response to something Nick said, I had a buddy over here watching the game with me on, on Saturday and he made the exact same comment because he was really confident going into the game. And he, you know, said, I, you know, it looked like we were going to get that Sean Clifford, you know, breakout kind of performance, but, um, you know, back to what you were saying, Bill, you know, it's been talked about ad nauseum, you know, certainly leading up to the game and even beforehand, everyone knows what Iowa's doing on defense. They're not, you know, they haven't reinvented the wheel or anything. And, and with uh, their defensive coordinator, Parker, who's been there as the defensive coordinator for, I think, nine years now and been on staff since Ferentz got there, that whole thing, um, you know exactly where you, what you're going to get. They don't change it up a whole lot week to week, you know, opponent to opponent. And the, the plan that Penn State had going into that with the mix of, you know, spreading the field and those quick hitters, you know, whether it's a screen pass or the quick hitches, those sorts of things – and taking advantage of the holes in their their general too deep zone, um, they were dialed in from the start. And I hate that term, but they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And it's one thing to know what you want to do going into the game, but to execute it to the level that they were for those four or five drives is is really impressive. Um, and I think, like I mentioned earlier, the response to that for that early interception on their first play from scrimmage. Um, you know, from an off, as an offense, when they came back out, they had no memory of it. You know, that short memory that everyone talks about. And I think that is a testament to something Sean Clifford was talking about a lot going into the season is how confident he felt in this system with Mike Yersich, what they were trying to do, um, really understanding not just, you know, how he needs to play, but, you know, how that system operates and and what he does play to play. Um, I think that that response, I think, was really a manifestation of, of what they want to do and that confidence that Clifford's had. Um, and, you know, not to, not to mention it again, but we got to mention it again. Um, you know, that that's, I think why we're so despondent for lack of a better term with the fact we didn't get to see it finish out, not just from a, a Penn state perspective. And obviously, you know, I think the confidence that we all have that they would have, you know, won that game pretty handily had he not been hurt, but just, you know, a guy that's gone through what he has as Penn State's starting quarterback for three seasons now, um, you know, and the pressure that was on him going into the game and the way he had delivered up to that point um, was really cool. You know, from a, a, a fan of college sports, that's, you know, one of the reasons why we watch is to see stories like that. And, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but we hope that we get a chance to kind of see him continue that story here, you know, whether it's in two weeks against Illinois or later. Yeah, I mean, it felt like, Sean Clifford has been through a whole hell of a lot as Penn State's starting quarterback, and it felt like this was going to be his 
I don't want to say announcement because I don't want it to like sound like I think he's going to be a Heisman finalist or a, an All-American or anything like that. But it felt like this was going to be his opportunity to say, like, I am the quarterback of a very special football team. Um, and it, it sucks. I mean, it got taken away from him. Like, it is literally that simple. The, the opportunity to do something special that it seems like he is relishing and has relished all offseason and has been saying all offseason with the I'm the most confident quarterback in the country stuff. It felt like it got taken away from him. Uh, and it, it, it stinks. Like just, just saying that like that is deflating, you know? And of course he goes down as of getting hit on a, a Penn State's 14 play 66 yard drive ended with a field goal to make the game. Uh, 17 to three, third and seven drops back, tries throwing to Brenton Strange, ends up getting hit pretty good. Um, by all accounts, he looked okay heading back to the sideline, went to the injury tent. Uh, th- this is just from uh, some friends who were in the stadium, went to the injury tent, came out, threw a bit on the sideline, then went to the back. And that's when Taquan Roberson took over. And we'll talk about Penn State's defense in a second, Matt. But once Clifford went down, was it just Sean is not here. They cannot win this football game. Or did they have a chance to win that football game without Sean Clifford under center and Taquan Roberson as the guy who had to, uh, you know, navigate the ship? I think it took me probably a few, a couple series into the, the second half to have that. This is going to be really a hard moment. I felt getting to the locker room at 1710, kind of surviving, making that, you know, significant of a change on the fly in that environment with the way that first series kind of unraveled, you know, with the false starts and the the fumbled snap and just, you know, everything that could go wrong in three plays went wrong at an absurdly high level. Um, I felt get to the locker room at 1710. They still have the lead. It's a one score game. Franklin and Yersich can, you know, I don't want to say calm Roberson down because I don't get the sense that he was necessarily panicking or, um, you know, freaking out or whatever you want to say. Um, but from a, a coaching staff that in general, since Franklin's been here, has really done a really good job coming out of the locker room and adjusting. I felt like getting there at, you know, with the lead, getting the ball to start the second half. You know, they don't need to score coming out of the locker room, but it felt like, okay, if they can, you know, move, so they can move the ball, settle down a little bit, kind of get a bit of a rhythm going again, then they can lean on this defense to some degree, you know, to a large degree and somehow get out of here with a win. I think, I think it was the first two series of the second half just were, you know, it, it wasn't until I think it was the third series and Nick can, can remind me, um, when they finally you know, moved the ball a little bit and, and got that field goal to make it 20 to 10 that, but even up until that point, it just, it felt like they were trying a lot of different things and it just wasn't really meshing and they weren't running time off the clock. They weren't giving the defense much of a spell. And it really felt like at that point, are they even going to score again? And if they don't score again, then I don't think they're going to win this game. When they got to 20 to 10, a little bit of that confidence came back. I think you even tweeted something about getting into a two-score game at that point felt really big um, because it felt like I'm not sure Penn State's defense is giving up, you know, another touchdown, let alone two scores in this game. Um, Iowa goes right down the field and gets a field goal and gets it right back to one possession. So I think that's kind of a key moment in the game there. Um, but it wasn't a you know an immediate oh crap this is over. I think it was, you know the compiling of evidence that the offense just wasn't at all in sync um, in a lot of ways with Roberson and just that building of momentum with field position and not moving the ball and not taking any time off the clock really snowballed to the point where it felt like ultimately when Iowa took the lead, it felt kind of inevitable at that point to me. Yeah. And Nick, I didn't real like I'm, I, you might be surprised to know I've like flushed, tried to flush this game from my memory as best I could. But like Penn State's first drive of the second quarter, they get a third and five to Quan Roberson, I believe, throws a pass to Brenton Strange at the Strange drops. Drive after that, 11 plays, uh, 42 yards, and Jordan Stout comes out, kicks a field goal. I forgot 
that Penn State offense, I don't want to say got something going, but didn't look quite as hapless as it did further, you know, from that point on. Uh, kind of the same question to you. Like once Clifford went down, and I'm interested in your thoughts because you did get a chance to rewatch the game. Was it just straight up, Sean's gone, they have no chance? I don't think it was that. It was just they, I mean, the, it was very clear that the goal was just, if we get another field goal, great, but we're just trying to hold on to this lead. They fell into a, maybe not fell into, but went with a two runs and a pass uh a kind of set of plays for their three downs, whether it was run, run, pass, or in like it was in some cases where they switched up the order a couple times. But I mean, it was just really clear that they didn't think that Roberson was going to be able to lead them with his arm like they really needed him to in order to be able to continue scoring on the Iowa defense, um, which, you know, is fair. The kids barely gotten any reps with the ones. They had to give the ball to Clifford this offseason so he could actually be ready to play in this new offense. But you know, I like I said, like it's this game feels a lot different if we don't get two Brenton Strange third down drops. There was a Theo Johnson drop. There was, you know, it was a tough drop, but it was still a drop. We have the Cam Sullivan Brown drop late. Like that's four dropped passes after your backup quarterback enters the game. That's really tough. And that makes it feel a lot worse than it really was. If any, if, if just one of those four uh, passes is completed, it's a totally different game because as you know as not that Penn State's offense was really successful outside from the field goal drive but the defense was holding back Iowa just as well the problem was that Penn State that it's the back and forth started with Penn State deep in their territory and then every false start every penalty just pushed it back a little bit more so even though Penn State's defense was stopping Iowa I was still punting back to inside mm-hmm. the Penn State 20 there just wasn't any room for them to ever get something going. And we saw in the field goal drive, once they got some space and they weren't backed up and they could go into that, they got, they were able to get a first down. They were able to go into that hurry up and, you know, keep Iowa defenders off the field, keep them off balance. Then, I mean, they were fine. Like they were, it was mostly based around Taquan Roberson just scrambling and picking up easy yards that way, but they at least were doing something. So I don't, I don't think it was as much that, well, Clifford's out. We can't do anything. It was that combination of, well, our backup quarterback's in. Oh, and we can't get a snap off. And we're starting deep in our own territory every time. It was just, and we're dropping passes. Just the combination of those four things made it really tough. Yeah, I, I'm. You, you mentioned something. Well, you mentioned a few things there that I'm glad we had a chance, like we mentioned. But the thing that won Iowa this game above all else for me was that. Penn State's starting field position on drives in the second half, other than the ones where Iowa scored, were generally pretty bad. Uh, After Iowa's, uh, you know, they had cut it to 2013, they ended up punting. Penn State starts with the ball at its two-yard line. Uh, Field goal touchdown, Penn State gets to 25 after both of those. Punt. Penn State starts as a uh, turnover on downs. Penn State starts at its eight. Like, if you were just asking Taquan Roberson, okay, we're putting – if you ask just about any backup quarterback, we're putting the ball at midfield against Iowa's defense, go get points, that's going to be really difficult. He was looking at 90-plus yards that he had to travel. And that's before we get into the fact that Penn State's offense just, like, couldn't snap the football. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to say I've never seen anything like it, but you know, I truly have never seen anything like it. Eventually, like I legitimately just do not think they worked on silent counts with Taquan Roberson at any time of the offseason. That is the only thing that makes sense to me. But they kept having to go, and they kept having to go, and they kept having to go, and they just could not. The one only times they could, like you mentioned, Nick, were times where. They were able to go with tempo, and that's what I think they were trying to do and why Penn State's drives stalled out after a minute and a half or 25 seconds or 37 seconds or, you know, a minute and a half, just like a minute, those sorts of things. I think Penn State made the bet that the reward of being able to go fast and make Iowa uncomfortable and make them unable to substitute, blah, 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 was worth the risk of 
more or less what we saw. And we saw it, and it was brutal, and it, it, it was bad. Like, it was just not good. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about Penn State's offense kind of going forward with Roberson or hopefully with Clifford, whoever it is. But, Nick, I want to take some time to praise that effort by Penn State's defense uh, and, and by Jordan Stout because I think Jordan Stout's punting uh, helped make things a little less bad than they possibly could have been. The fact that Penn State only allowed 13 points in the second half to the fact that the only touchdown came on, you know, basically one play with more or less busted coverage. Uh, I was receiver. Uh, Nico Regani did something, you know, a move that I think spun Tariq Castro fields around Spencer Petras throws a nice ball to him. Despite that, I think this was, when you consider the fact that P.J. Mustafer was out, that Jonathan Sutherland couldn't get to run, those sorts of things, I think this was a damn near Herculean performance by Penn State's defense. Yeah, they were awesome, um, especially when you consider, like you said, the P.J. Mustafer is out. Uh, Devon Ellis, Kazai Izzard each played 45 and 35 snaps, respectively. Derek Tangelo was out there more or less the whole game, 64 snaps. Ebiketti was out there a ton. Nick Tarburton moved inside a bunch of times as well. Uh, we saw uh, we saw Curtis Jacobs play his best game as a Nittany Lion. He was outstanding. Daquan Hardy had some really impactful plays. He had a tackle for loss on a sack on back-to-back plays towards the end of the game. That was huge. I mean, this this defense was it was amazing. It was when you consider what they were up against, how little time they had to breathe on the sidelines and. No, Iowa's offense is not good. I've I spent the entire week up to this preaching about how bad they actually are. But even the worst offenses, if you're getting to be on get come on the field every minute and a half and you're starting at like your own 35 or closer, most defenses are going to yield not and not it's an insignificant amount of points in that situation. And Penn State's defense stood up tall. They kept him in this game for as long as they possibly could have. Um, yeah, and this is this is not on them at all. They were outstanding. I thought they were great. And I mean, there are a couple opportunities where maybe they could have had an interception and didn't that could have maybe ended up winning the game for him anyway. But you can't be mad about that. This is overall just really, really awesome game by them. And yeah, that's a defense full, chocked full of NFL dudes. Yeah, uh, Matt, kind of just the same thing for you. I mean, I got, I very much got the vibe of, I believe it was Penn State, Ohio State in Columbus in 2015. Um, and Penn State's defense just kept showing up. They kept performing, and it was, it was stellar. Yeah, I don't even think we have to go back that far to, you know, for a similar kind of performance. You know, the, the season opener against Wisconsin. And, you know, Wisconsin's offensive struggles are different different than Iowa's offensive struggles, but they were on the field for 97 snaps. And, you know, Penn State's offense in the first half in Madison was about as ineffective as Penn State's offense in the last two and a half quarters in, in Iowa on Saturday. And, you know, they did the, you know, had the exact, you know, same kind of performance, you know, made plays when they needed to make plays. And there they kept Penn State in the game long enough for the offense to kind of settle in and figure it out. Um, obviously it didn't happen on Saturday, but, um, you know, there's, you know, to a man, everyone on that defense, you know, played an unbelievable game. Um, you know, I'm glad Nick mentioned Daquan Hardy cause I thought he played really well. Um, you know, it's an almost unfortunate, um, you know, Iowa's first touchdown drive, um, on that third long, um, got Nick ding for that pass interference. And I think it, it, it was the right call, but I don't think, I think it was one of those, you know, unwinnable situations for a defensive back, you know, in that kind of situation. But, um, he was unbelievable. Um, the way Izzard and Ellie stepped up with Mustafa out of the, you know, basically the entire game, um, was, was really solid. Um, you know, Jacon Brisker is just, you know, a man back there. And, um, I love, I love that for him because, you know, he, w- he would have been drafted last year, um, you know, probably in the third or fourth round and he's played his way up the draft and made himself some money this year. Um, clearly playing through, you know, at least one injury, if not more, um, you know, the number of times that he's had to, to pull himself for, for a player or two here to, to get back, um, you know, feeling okay. Um, you know, I could go on and on, you know, uh, like Nick said, Curtis Jacobs played a great game. Ellis Brooks was, um, you know, I think he had what 14 or 15 tackles, 
Um, and you know, you saw him after the game, how hard he took it, but, um, no, it was, it was, as Nick said, Herculean, um, the fact that they were in that game until what, five or six minutes left when Iowa finally took the lead with the, the time they spent on the field, the field position they were up against basically the entire second half. It was, um, you know, it's, it's the second really, really, really impressive performance by this unit, you know, through the first six games already. Yeah, Ellis Brooks, uh, I don't know if I mean, we all saw, I don't know if everyone did, but he just stood on the field while Iowa fans were storming and he had some quote, um, don't remember off the top of my head, but it was something to the extent of like, I want to take this in. Like it, it was, uh, you know, you might've seen it last year after the Chiefs beat the Bills in the uh, AFC championship game. Stephon Diggs just stood there and said like, no, I'm going to watch all of this because I want to feel this. And Listen, if Ellis Brooks is to Penn State's defense, with Stephon Diggs is to the Buffalo Bills offense, that would be really good. Uh, let's hand out some game balls really quickly. I don't want to uh, – you know, I want to start looking forward, so I think that's a little bit more important here. Uh, we'll go quick. Matt, let you give yours out first. Offensive game ball, defensive game ball. If you don't want to give out an offensive game ball, I don't think anybody would blame you, but go ahead. No, I think it's probably more on, on... – expectation but you know I, I you can't not give it to Sean Clifford for what he did during his his 20 minutes or so in the game on the offensive side um on the defensive side god I have no idea um you know the whole unit really um I guess if I had to pick someone I'd go with Ellie's because I think he probably had the the tallest task playing basically you know starters reps um once Mustafer went out real early so and I and he certainly held his own he's not PJ Mustafer but not many guys are so um, I'll go with the Vanellis uh Nick over to you who will you give yours to offensively I'm going to do that really fun thing where you give it to a coach because that's fair um I'm gonna give it to Mike Yurcich because even like we said I know that the offense didn't look the way that it could have after Clifford went out, but I thought his play calling while Clifford was still in the game was fantastic. And then once Roberson got in the game, I think he he did all he could in order to put him to, into situations to have open receivers. He had guys open. Like I said, there were drops that hurt him. But um, and then even thinking about that fourth down play, I know, unfortunately, that Roberson threw to Kayvon Lee instead of any of the four receivers running wide open in the middle of the field. But I thought yeah. just overall, even even considering the situation, I thought he did a good job of calling plays for the quarterback he had in the game. Uh, defensively, I'm going to say I'm going to say Curtis Jacobs. I don't know. I don't know without going back and looking, but I'm betting this is close to the highest number of snaps in a game he's played. He played 58 snaps. Uh, he's the guy who comes off the field when Daquan Hardy comes on the field. I think Daquan Hardy also is worthy of this as well. But I think this is probably the highest percentage of the game that Jacobs has played. And, uh, you know, by proxy of that, he did end up in pass coverage a little more as well. And I just I thought he looked really good at that outside linebacker spot. I really, really like him. Um, I thought he played a great game. Uh, real quick, uh, are we all in agree? I, I think that fourth down play uh, – you know, everyone I think knows the one we're talking about, but it was fourth down and uh, Roverson dumps it to Kayvon Lee, who's immediately tackled instead of throwing to one of like four guys who were just standing wide open in front of him. Do, do we all agree that was like that was either one of two things he was told to throw there because just because they thought they'd have that or, uh, you know, he panicked and just checked down because he knew that was going to be there. Oh, every throw he made, I'm positive he was like directed who is going to be open on this play hundred percent. I will. I think there was a little bit of that on that particular play. I think Iowa brought pressure up the middle, which left that middle part of the field open for um, it was Parker Washington. And I'm not sure which tight end was, was in on that particular play. It could have been Dodson too, for all I can remember. Um, I believe it was Theo Johnson and Parker who crossed over the middle. Yeah. So I, there, that felt very reactionary to, oh God, there's pressure. When I get pressured, you throw to your checkdown guy. I, I think it's just, you know, a quarterback that has just not, in, and we'll get into this here in a little bit, I know, um, a quarterback that has just not had, you know, much opportunity to face that kind of of environment, either in practice or, or in games. Um, and just, you kind of just default to, um, 
you know, get the ball out and, and that's the safe throw. Yeah, that's uh, I, I think that's all fair. Uh, offensive side of the football. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it to Clifford. No, no, I'm going to give it to Jordan Stout because I thought I think if not for the fact that Jordan Stout has a very strong leg and Jordan Stout was booting the football 50 plus yards while kicking out of his end zone and not being able to go through his normal like progression of how he steps when he punts the football. And that is impossibly hard. So I like, I think this game, you know, I don't want to like be mean to anyone in specific, but I think we all can think of some past Penn state punters who didn't have legs like him. And, you know, I was getting the ball at their 35 at Penn state's 35 yard line. So I'll, I'll give it to Stout. I thought, and you know, I think it was just generally pretty good. Made both of his field goals, both of his extra points. Um, de- defense, I will give it to Ellis Brooks. I mean, I thought he just commanded the middle of the field against that Iowa offense. I think he, no, they couldn't run if they tried doing any. They basically went into his general vicinity. He was there and just really impressed by the performance. I'm like constantly impressed by the performance we see out of him. So I'll give it to him. Uh, I also want to give a like a like gold star to Brent Pry for one particular moment. I think it was a third down and Iowa was expecting Penn State to bring some pressure. So they called some crossing routes and they thought, you know, we'll just have Spencer dump it to one of them. They'll have a little head of speed. They'll get the third and four or whatever it was. And Brent Pry, the psychopath that he is, uh, called Penn State. He told Penn State's defensive tackles, engage the deep, the offensive linemen and then drop back into coverage. And Spencer Petras had no idea what to do. And that was just like one of the funniest things that I've seen. So shout out to Brent Pry. The, for the fun part of that play was that even despite – only having two rushers, both Luketa and Ebikati both got pressures on that play. Yeah. Boy, Iowa's offensive line stinks. They really stink, I think, as a football team. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to talk about where Penn State ends up going from here. Because Penn State's heading into the bye week. I think it's the constant irony of a situation where if I told you before Penn State played Wisconsin, that Penn State was going to be 5-1 and one on the season and their only loss was going to be to Kinnick, in Kinnick, I think every single one of us would go, let's do that. Like, I'm fine with that. Like, if you were, I were to tell you Penn State is going to go into its by 5-1, and one, only loss was in Kinnick, and they are the number seven team in the Big Ten, in the, not in the Big Ten, in college football, I think every single person is excited about that. But... We have some added context of, you know, with all due respect to PJ Mustafer, who's going to be a huge loss if he's out for any extended period of time. And just like watching on the sideline, this is some wild speculation. Clifford seemed like he was moving around okay, was didn't have any wraps or slings or casts or anything like that, while Mustafer, I think, was on some crutches. So he might be out longer if uh, you know, if everything seems okay with Clifford. But Penn State looks like it might be going into the teeth of this this schedule, Sands, Illinois, without with the possibility that Sean Clifford's not going to be there, Nick. So I want to present to you, just generally, what are your thoughts on the rest of this Penn State season once we get out of the bye without Sean Clifford? And then just generally, what are your thoughts on Penn State being in this situation where it's quarterback depth chart if he's out? is Taquan Roberson, is Christian Veyu, and then it's a bunch of walk-ons. I mean, it is what it is. It's no one's fault. It's just the way that things happened this offseason. You know, Micah Bowens was here for, I think, two years and decided to move on. Totally normal path. You know, if you're not going to if you're not going to have the path to play, why stay? And especially when it's so easy to transfer now. Uh, Will Levis obviously felt like he wanted to go start somewhere and he's doing quite well for himself now with Kentucky. So obviously no, no fault with that either. So, uh, and I don't doubt that Penn state did look for a, a quarterback in the transfer market this off season, but you know, there, there really weren't too many available and I don't necessarily blame them for not getting one because 
I mean, who even knows who who knows who is even interested at that point? It just so happened that this injury to Clifford happened during a year in which they are uncharacteristically light in the quarterback department. You know, fast forward a year from now, that won't be the case because you'll have two incoming highly ranked freshman quarterbacks coming in and sure they'll, they'll be green, but there's talent there and there'll be more bodies in the room. It's it's unfortunate that it happened now, but I don't really think it was something that was necessarily avoidable. I don't think it's something that uh, it's just not something I'm personally really choosing to get too hung up on because it happened and that's that's what it is now. I mean, going forward, if Sean Clifford is hurt, I think Penn State probably loses to all three of Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan. But I don't know. I, I based on my uh, expert readings of Instagram posts, I, I'm not I'm not feeling too negative about his <laughs> outlook. I. I mean, the, obviously the bye week helps. It's nice to have the week off here, but I pretty simply put, I think if Sean Clifford is healthy, I think Penn State wins out, plain and simple. I think if he is not, then obviously they're oh. going to have a really tough time winning those three games the, against the other beasts in the East, um, barring some big-time improvement over the next two weeks of practice for Roberson. Yeah, and Matt, I'll kind of go to you with the same thing, like, just what do you think about the situation Penn State finds itself in now and then, like, where it goes with or without Sean Clifford being around? Well, I think the to kind of expand on what Nick was talking about with the transfer portal, um, they certainly looked into options, but there's, there's two types of quarterbacks that are in the transfer portal. One is the guy that wasn't good enough to get on the field wherever he was, you know, that we'll call it the Micah Bowens. You know, I, I, was, I was just about to say, can I interrupt you and call them the Micah Bowens and the Will Levis? Yeah. And, 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 you know, Micah Bowens, you know, is now not even playing quarterback for Oklahoma. I think he got moved to safety because he was so far down their depth chart. Um, obviously Will Levis found a situation that has fit him perfectly. And um, I want to watch him bulldoze Georgia on Saturday um, just as an aside. But um, so you have guys like that, that are, either not good enough to weren't good enough to play where they were or guys that um, have shown flashes, but don't think they're going to get a shot to be the guy where they are. Um, and the former is just looking for an opportunity and sure. Penn State could have found that guy. Um, but you know, is, is that markedly different from where they, they find themselves now? And I'll get to why I think that is the case um, in a minute or the guys that are out there that are more talented are looking for a place they know, with pretty good confidence, they're going to be the starting quarterback. And rightly or wrongly, and I'm going to, you know, I'll go to war with saying that that's the right track to take for Penn State. James Franklin's not given anyone anything. Um, and it's why Tommy Stevens transferred out of the program, um, among other reasons, a couple years ago, because he wanted to go somewhere where he thought he had a chance to be the guy. And Penn State wasn't prepared to tell him going into the 2019 season that you were going to be the starting quarterback over Sean Clifford. There was going to be a, a battle in camp and over the summer and they're going to see how the chips fell. And and I'm not, you know, begrudging anyone that takes that track, you know, at quarterback there, you know, it's such a unique position in football that, you know, if you're not going to be the guy and you've got your four or five years in college to be the guy, you by all means go find an opportunity to do it. And like Nick said, it's unfortunate that in the, evolution of Penn State's quarterback room, the injury happened at a point where those older guys that weren't going to get their shot, that wanted their shot, had moved on. It's just the nature of basically any program that's not Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, or Clemson at quarterback. Um, you look around the country, there aren't many places where you lose your starting quarterback um, unless you're fortunate like Penn State's been at a couple points in the recent past with Tommy Stevens and Will Levis where you had a guy that had had played a little bit, you know, had shown that he, he you know, had some talent and was, and was ready to play. Um, those guys, if they're not going to be the guy, move on. And I don't think, you know, you know, with what we've seen from Sean Clifford this year, you know, why would Will Levis stick around and, and you know, wait and, and, you know, selfishly hope he gets injured? That's just not, not, the, not how the game works at 95% of college football places. Um, as far as why... I think Penn state has found itself in a unique position where their backup, you know, really has on the reps and they were really open about this in the spring over the summer and the fall. 
that with Sean Clifford on his third offensive coordinator in three years, um, learning another new offense, getting ready for the season, he was getting a huge majority of the reps. And it was certainly, and I don't know if they admitted it in, the, in such a way, but it was certainly to the detriment of certainly Taquan Roberson and also Christian Veyu. You know, they just aren't getting the reps. But when I when I think about that, and you think about it this way, where if Penn State hadn't done that, does Sean Clifford getting hurt have the type of impact on the type of season Penn State was having at that point? Are they 5-0 and and ranked number four in the country going into Iowa if they don't focus basically solely on Sean Clifford as their number one quarterback and getting those reps as the number one quarterback? I'd argue they might be 3-2 and two heading to Iowa. They probably don't win the Wisconsin game if Sean Clifford doesn't get those reps. I'm not sure they beat Auburn if Sean Clifford get, doesn't get those reps. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're having a whole different discussion. Well, why wasn't he ready? Well, we wanted to get the backup ready. You you don't plan for your starting quarterback to, to go out of a game like that at that point. You certainly know it's a possibility, but, um, you know, it's a risk-reward sort of thing, I think, as far as they looked at it. And they got bit by it. And I think if you caught, you know, Mike Yurcich or James Franklin in an honest moment, they'd do it a hundred times again. Um, sorry to kind of ramble like that on that, but I think it's something that with some of the comments I've seen and read since Saturday that, you know, th- there is a perfectly logical explanation. And I think a perfectly appropriate track that Penn state took that put themselves in that spot and it got him. It got him at the absolute worst possible time on the schedule, with the exception of maybe going to Columbus here in a couple of weeks. But I think going forward, um, you know, for certainly this week leading into the bye, and then depending on Sean's health heading into Illinois, Robertson's going to get a lot of those reps. Um, you know, I think you're going to see um, if he plays that, that Illinois game, which I kind of, you know, gut feeling think we probably see him start that because um, where Illinois finds themselves in the, the rebuilding process. Um, I think you're going to see a drastically improved quarterback, you know, make your joke here about it. That won't take a whole lot, but um, I think those reps will be invaluable um, certainly for his development and leading to Iowa. And I, I, I don't have any inside information. I've read the same Instagram post that Nick is, you know, going, you know, uh, knee deep in the try and decipher. Um, but I, I think, you know, unless, you know, our, our gut feeling is way off, I think we see Sean Clifford start against Ohio State. And not to talk about that game, but I think what we saw Sean do against a better defense in Iowa than he's in a face, um, certainly in Columbus, um, and probably the rest of the year, gives me hope that the offense, at least, you know, is going to be able to to do some things in those big games going forward if, if he's healthy. Um, and then, you know, we see how Penn State's defense, who has been unbelievable, as we've talked about up to that point, up to this point, handles, you know, by far the best offense in the country in Ohio State. But um, I'm not going to go as far to say that Penn State wins out if Sean Clifford's healthy. But I think they got a really good shot, you know, in every single game, um, including that one in Columbus, if he's 100 percent or close to it to run the table. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys both hit on all the points that I was going to make. Like, I still, I think that Ohio State's started figuring some things out on offense, namely that uh, they should just give the ball to Travion Henderson um, and not ask C.J. Stroud to be Justin Fields. So I'm, um, I'm not like blown away. Like, I, I don't think that's going to be a 700 million point win by Ohio State or anything like that. Um, but I do think that that, like, even if Sean Clifford's there, I think it's a loss. But otherwise, I think Penn State could win out. And you did hit on the big point that I wanted to make, Matt, which is that I think, I think Taquan Roberson was put in a position to fail not by James Franklin, not by Mike Yurcich, but by the sport of college football. Because he's not an untalented football player, not by any stretch of the imagination. I saw that flying around a bit after the game. He was a four-star recruit with offers from Boston College, Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio State, Virginia Tech, other Power 5 schools. He is a guy with talent, guy with potential, But because of the way the college football works, 
He was just never going, like, he was never, ever, ever going to be put into a position to succeed if he had to play this year. And I think that you, if he had to play meaningful snaps this year, because he had gotten against Villanova, Ball State, that sort of thing. I think you can sit here and make the very fair point that they should have pushed harder for, even if it is a backup who could come in and just knew how to do things like how to snap the, like get the football snapped, how to go through their progressions, those sorts of things. Like, I think you can make that argument, but I ultimately think that it's for naught because like James Franklin said, he only wanted someone coming in who was going to make the team better and, or who was going to challenge and make that room better. And I don't think getting a backup does that. But then you also hit, Matt, you also hit like my big point was that each of Taquan Roberson's three years on Penn State's campus have been in the three years where Sean Clifford has been Penn State's starting quarterback. And there has been a new offensive coordinator in each of those years. Taquan Roberson went from probably fourth string, third or fourth string in his first year, to third string last year, to second string this year, while the circumstances weren't exactly friendly to him being the second string quarterback. At the same time, Penn State needed to more or less get Sean Clifford up to speed in brand new offenses each of those past two years, and to an extent in that first year because he was just not the starter and he was not getting starters reps before that. There was no situation where Taquan Roberson was going to be able to succeed considering all of that. And like you mentioned, Matt, there is no way that Penn State was entering that game 5-0 and if not for that very basic fact. Like, I, I feel for him. Uh, I think that he's going to, um, like you mentioned, I think he's going to play better against Illinois. Uh, but the only other thing that I want to mention about Clifford um, after the game, Rashid Walker met with the media, uh, I believe. And he basically said something to be acceptable. Like, we think Sean's going to be okay. So hopefully that's not just uh, players, you know, keeping something close to the chest or anything like that. One thing we know about James Franklin is that when someone is injured and it's going to keep them out for the season, he will usually announce that. So fingers crossed we don't hear anything from Franklin on that. Kind of the last thing I want to talk about on this episode of the pod, we're not going to talk about the Big Ten anything like that. And I'm going to start with you, Matt. Oh, my dear God, do I want to play Iowa. Like, I, I'm go- this is when I'm going to let us be fans. I want to play Iowa again in Indianapolis, probably more than I have wanted anything during my time as a Penn State fan. You know, I had someone ask me on Sunday, why does Penn State – why did Penn State and Iowa seem to have this huge level of hatred and animosity towards each other? And I don't, I don't have a good answer other than they've played, I don't know, a half dozen really close kind of instant classic type of football games. Then you add in the wrestling side of it and things like that too. But man, it's in the, this a combination of fan response and how beatable that they seemed with a healthy Penn State team. And I, I tweeted something after the game, basically, you know, you know, congratulations on, on booing enough players to win and being the luckiest program in the country. The responses that I woke up to on Sunday morning from the, uh, the Iowa City faithful where it was, was, uh, sh- sure was something. Um, so that whole part of it, and we don't need to get into it anymore. It was terrible. It happens at Penn State. It's terrible when it happens there. Um, so that side of it would be really fun to beat them in a game that you know was way more meaningful than the one this past weekend. But I think just from a football standpoint, going back to what we talked about right off the top, Penn State is just a much better football team than Iowa when they are at 100%. And yes, injuries are part of the game, and yes, they happen – and, and Iowa did what they needed to do in the situation. But if Penn State gets itself to Indianapolis, I don't think any of us have any doubt that Iowa's going to find their way there based on what their schedule is the rest of the way. Um, although it would be really funny if they somehow aren't. Um, that's a whole other podcast. Um, to get get them again on that stage with a, in that situation, theoretically pretty healthy team, you know, as healthy as anyone is at that time of the year, I think... 
everyone that's listening to this podcast, everyone in the Lash building is going to feel really, really good about what they can do going into that game um, and the, the, the type of stage they're going to have because of, um, one, what they showed through those first 20 or 25 minutes. And also, I think, because of some of that fan reaction stuff and Iowa special team coach, there's going to be a lot of bulletin board type material going into that theoretical game down the road. All right. So, Nick, uh, same question to you. But before we do that, I want to play a really quick game with you, okay? I am, going to, I am going to go down the AP Top 25 where Iowa is currently ranked number two, I am going to read the name of the team and you just tell me yes or no, do you think they would beat Iowa? Not, are they better than Iowa? Not, is Iowa better than Would this team beat Iowa? We'll start with the obvious one. Georgia. Yes. Cincinnati. Yes. Oklahoma. Yes. Alabama. Yes. Ohio State. Yes. Penn State, we went over. Michigan. Yes. Oregon. Yes. Michigan State. Yeah, maybe. Kentucky. Uh, hmm. I might say no to that one. Uh, we'll go to 15. Oklahoma State. Uh, yes. All right. Ole Miss. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I want to see that more than I want to see Ole Penn State play them, almost. <laughs> Notre Dame. No. That and would set a, back football years. And, and then America's team, Coastal Carolina. Oh, hell yeah. Coastal would whoop them. Uh, Ole, the games I would most want to see other than Penn State are Georgia, Cincinnati, uh, Coastal, and Ole Miss, but uh, neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, Nick, same thing to you, like, it's ve- to me, it's very possible that Iowa loses in Camp Randall. They pick up a loss to Nebraska. But if you were to tell me right now, Penn State, Iowa in uh, Indianapolis is happening, and I have to make a bet, I would put a whole lot of money I don't have on Penn State winning that football game. Yeah, it's been for for whatever reason the last few weeks, I've had two like very Penn State internet viral like over 300 likes on multiple tweets. I don't really understand what's happening. I think I figured out the formula for Twitter is when something bad happens to Penn state, tweet a how tweet about how it's bad. And everyone's like, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I, I feel very confident. I tweeted this. If Penn state plays Iowa again, Penn state is winning by 25 points minimum. Um, I will also say I am 100% confident that I was going to lose Nebraska and I'm about 95% confident they're going to lose to Wisconsin. So maybe that game doesn't even happen. Who knows? Yeah, that's that's probably fair. Uh, one thing I will say is that uh, Bill Connolly has uh, said that Penn State has uh, uh, he has uh, the hardest schedules uh, through six weeks in uh, college football and SP plus uh, Rutgers, Arkansas, Miami, Clemson, Wisconsin. Hardest full season schedule, uh, Indiana, Nebraska, and then Penn State is uh, number three. So. Uh, well, it's going to be tough for Penn State. I, but having said that, they still have everything in front of them. So let's just put it this way. I, I'm upset about how Penn State's game against Iowa went. I am upset about what happened to Sean Clifford. But I still think that this team could end up doing some pretty special things. Uh, Matt, any final things to say before we get out of here? I am very much looking forward to a couple of, uh, well, certainly one, and I think we can all say with pretty good confidence, two less stressful weeks um, after the type of opening six games Penn State's had to kind of catch our breath and and enjoy the the finer things in life and um, do some sort of uh, dark magic ritual to to make sure Sean Clifford's ribs or or, or collarbone or shoulder, whatever it is, are, uh, are healed as fast as possible. Yeah, uh, Taquan What we all agree, if we can all agree on one thing, is that Taquan Roberson is going to put up highs in the numbers on Illinois because that's just how this works. Uh, Nick, any final things for you to say? Um, poor, poor, poor Indiana. Why is that? Go on. 
well, you mentioned they have the toughest schedule, and I've been. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I was re- I was working on a piece earlier where I was just going through like, a, what do we know about the Big Ten? And my basic Iowa premise is those poor, poor Hoosiers. Yeah, it sounds about right. Uh, Indiana hearts go out to you in just this entire football season. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Of course, make sure you're subscribing to your podcast wherever you go to get your podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts, please make sure you're leaving us a five-star review. Please keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to buy shirts. So Matt's uh, basement can become a little less crowded. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it might be. One last time. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Four Lions Radio. For Nick Pollock and Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.